Hey there, have you heard about the Rosenman Innovator Program? If you're looking to scale up your health tech idea, this program is for you. I'm Carly Grant from the UCSF Rosenman Institute, and I have the pleasure of connecting entrepreneurs like you with people who can help you grow your business faster. The Rosenman Innovators Program provides hands-on mentorship, guidance, and a whole suite of benefits that help you navigate the path to commercialization. So what are you waiting for? Applications are open now. Don't miss your chance to be a part of the Rosenman Innovator Program. Join us today to successfully fundraise, gain visibility, and grow your network. To find out more, go to rosenmaninstitute.org slash programs slash Rosenman dash innovators. While we have thoughts and feelings, how, you know, those might wash over us, those might affect us, but our behavior is actually a choice. Just because I have a thought or a feeling doesn't mean I need to act out on it. And sometimes the behavioral intelligence model tells us is we have to be able to stretch that distance between I had this emotion and I have this reaction or I have this thought and I have this uh, active you know, presence of that thought. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. Today's episode is all about understanding people in the workplace, a topic that is of great interest to everyone, especially business leaders who are tasked with managing teams. I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, Jay Johnson, who is a renowned expert on empowering teams for entrepreneurs and leaders. Jay's TEDx talks and his work as a Forbes Business Council member have earned him a reputation as a sought-after speaker and workshop leader, and he has traveled to over 30 countries to share his insights. We talk about the importance of understanding people, the power of body language, and the career life lessons he has learned along the way. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome, Jay. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for having me, Christine. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, like I ran into you uh, through your TED Talk about how to deal with difficult people. But before we talk about, you know, all these tools that you might have for us, maybe you can share with us a little bit about your background um, and what took you to where you are today. Yeah, so I study behavioral science, uh, specifically psychology, neuroscience, and communication to help people and organizations behave intelligently. And I got started in that field by working at Wayne State University a long, long time ago. We actually put together a training program to help bridge cultural expectations between faculty and students who are coming from abroad. And a faculty member had come up to me and said, you know, you're pretty good at this. You should do this for a living. And I said, maybe I will. And uh, when, <laughs> and the rest is history, as they say. And so I know from that, you kind of doing this professionally to provide a lot of advice to corporate. And can you tell me more about that line of work that you do besides the TED Talk? <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. So we uh, we work with a number of different Fortune 100 companies, governments, nonprofits, big nonprofits across the country and actually across the world. And what we do is we guide them. So nobody knows their own business the way that the business owner knows the business or uh, you know that internal piece. But what we help supply is an understanding of human behavior. And really, what we try to do is instill them with the skills and abilities to accurately explain what behaviors are happening, whether that's within them personally or in their organization, to help them predict future behaviors. So we know that behaviors are patterns. And if we can identify the patterns, we can predict them, which gives us the ability to influence them and also manage and control our own. So we work uh, really to help develop leaders and salespeople and negotiators and purchasing departments, and in particular, healthcare professionals to be able to create uh, patient satisfaction, to be able to make better connections and to instill trust amongst their teams and the people that they're serving. Mm-hmm. I mean, your experience in quite wide range of industry and especially in healthcare be really interesting to hear your point of view one that struck me when i uh, learned about you is about you know how to deal with difficult people and as you get older and become adulthood and uh, you often meet difficult people well you know again what's the definition of difficult people and i also think many of our listeners are uh, entrepreneurs Oftentimes, they have to manage different people. And maybe we can start like, what is difficult people? Because people who don't agree with us, we like to think they are difficult, but that not necessarily meant they're difficult either. No, I I love that you go for the definition first, Christine, because I think that's really, really important. And it's interesting because despite having worked in a number of industries, the one thing that we always say is that across all jobs, across all corporations, across all governments, the one constant is people. And if you learn to manage and deal with behaviors and people, then you're going to have an advantage over your competition and anybody else within that sphere. So what is a difficult person? I often start my talks by asking, how many of you in the audience, uh, when I say, think of a difficult person, somebody pops into your mind immediately. And, you know, most of the audience will raise their hand. And I tell them, if you're not raising your hand, you just might be the difficult person. Um, But the reality is, is a difficult person is, can be anybody. And it can be anybody at any time. Our best friend can be a very difficult person. Our mortal nemesis could be a difficult person. And what we try to do is actually one of the final lessons that we have is, pulling back the shade of when we label somebody difficult, it makes it very difficult for us to work with them. So we actually take an approach of saying, how do we manage difficult behaviors? And we separate the behaviors from the people because people in our in our estimation, people are by nature good. And just because we have conflict with them doesn't take away from the fact that they're human, that they have needs, that they have wants, that they want to be loved, that they want to have a great job and they want to have a career. So really what we get down to is where are our behaviors clashing with somebody? So anyone can be a difficult person. It's really about the experience that we have interacting with them. So then you separate the people 
And then so you look at the behavior and that's when the conflict happens because that's why you were saying everybody can be difficult, difficult people at different times and depending yeah. on the situation. So yeah. I guess our definition of difficult people is humans. Yeah. All yeah. humans. All humans. <laughs> <laughs> so when that happened, when you're in a difficult situation with that human, uh, how do you manage it and how do you kind of uh, bring them along so that we reach to a certain place that we all want to be? It's a great question. Uh, the very first thing is actually has nothing to do with their behavior. It has everything to do with our own behavior. One of the key lessons when we're working and dealing with difficult behaviors or difficult people is to remember it's our heart attack. When we get into an argument or a conflict or we're having difficulty, whether it's a new customer, a client, a colleague, a coworker, whomever it is, when we get into that conflict, our body reacts. Our limbic system takes off and our fight, flight, or faint response comes into play. And if you've ever been in that situation where uh, you maybe said something wrong or you immediately regretted what you said, that might be a reaction from that super fast fight, flight, or faint response. And until we can get control over that part of our brain, we're going to have a difficult time seeing another perspective or being able to navigate a difficult conversation. So the first step is understanding I shouldn't be having a heart attack because of somebody else's behavior. I have to get myself under control. I have to make sure that my emotions are in check, my behaviors are in check, and then that's the pathway forward to be able to navigate some of the difficulty that we're going to have in our interaction. And I remember my, my husband used to, told, to tell me, anger comes from inside. You mm -hmm. decide whether you're angry, not the other person. It's easier said than done, right? It's much easier said than done. <laughs> you know, the, the entire concept of behavioral intelligence, so this is the model that we use to help organizations and to help people, and the entire model is really understanding that we as human beings have thoughts. And sometimes our thoughts, if you've ever had this experience where a thought popped in your head and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just thought that. And you start questioning like, I, I'm a terrible person. I can't believe it. We all have those moments. We also have emotional moments. I, I would be hard pressed to find a human in the world that has not at some point in time been so frustrated or so angry with their boss that they mm -hmm. just wanted to scream at them. Sometimes maybe we do, and that leads to some negative consequences. And sometimes we don't. And really what that comes down to is while we have thoughts and feelings, how you know those might wash over us, those might affect us, but our behavior is actually a choice. Just because I have a thought or a feeling doesn't mean I need to act out on it. And sometimes the behavioral intelligence model tells us is, we have to be able to stretch that distance between I had this emotion and I have this reaction or I have this thought and I have this uh, active you know, presence of that thought. So that's really what behavioral intelligence is, is being able to select and choose the most appropriate behaviors that'll bring us positive consequences and positive success. 
So uh, I might choose to be angry, but I can choose to take a different pathway to not escalate that anger mm-hmm. or you know, exacerbate that conflict with somebody. I can choose to de-escalate. I can choose to ask questions. I can choose to become curious rather mm-hmm. than necessarily confrontational. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. Yeah, I, I think sometimes when I think about it, when you de-escalate, it's almost like you make the problem smaller rather than the problem bigger. And I think oftentimes, I don't know, I, I'm not a behavioral science, but I'm just thinking about myself. Is sometimes when you react quickly, you don't you don't give the chance to stop to think, but you have your amygdala to react to it. And that's the animal instinct. Then they tend to be pouncing and then make the problem bigger. Absolutely. So we tend to react. We we have certain, humans have triggers. So there might be some very specific behaviors that really just grind you, that really frustrate you. And realistically, whether I exhibited that trigger, whether somebody else exhibited that trigger, that is going to cause an emotional and or a logical reaction from you. How you choose to respond to that trigger could be environmental. Maybe it's your boss that does it and you choose not to do it. Uh, Maybe it's a client that does it and you choose to hold back. Instead of allowing that amygdala, that fight, flight, or faint to the fear regulation center to be able to manage our behaviors, we really need to be able to sort of calm that voice and allow for a more rational, thought-provoking voice, the cerebral cortex, to kick in and allow us to essentially choose the right behavior. And so let me bring it back to uh, some of the experience in our community. So entrepreneurs, they have to manage uh, their team. And when you're in this stressful situation, you need to meet certain deadlines, certain deliverables, and resources are tight, yet they have to deliver on time and more. And how do you motivate your team in a way that is not being difficult? Sure. It's a good question. I uh, So fellow entrepreneurs, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. Uh, as an entrepreneur, and I actually teach entrepreneurship at a couple of universities here in Michigan, um, it's it's a big challenge. And when you're an entrepreneur, you're oftentimes the CEO, the top salesperson, sometimes you're the finance director, sometimes you're managing all of these different pieces, plus you have to be the visionary, plus you have to be the team, uh, you know, the manager that keeps the, the wheels on track. And one of the things that I have found is that the culture that I create is the sum of the micro behaviors that I exhibit. And let me explain what that means. So every day that I'm in the office and I've got a team of 14 that work with me, 
if I allow stress, anxiety, and frustration to be sort of that core, that center, which it's very easy to allow that to happen because there is so much going on, that is contagious. And human beings have me. You, I guarantee everybody's experienced that where you've walked into a room and two people in that room were just fighting. You didn't even hear it, but you just know. You can feel it. Like there's this tension in the air. And what it is, is that's a human survivalist response where our brain is trained to recognize where there's potential threats and dangers. So a couple of different tactics that I always tell my entrepreneurs class, whatever your state, if you're having one of those emotional states, be vulnerable and say, hey, you know, today is a very frustrating day for me. I'm struggling because of X, Y, and Z. This is really creating some stress for me. So I just wanted everybody to be aware where I am emotionally that's going to create some psychological safety for your team to be comfortable to say the same thing back to you. You know, I'm having a stressful day too. Okay, let's watch out for how we're going to infect each other with our stress. Number two is when we do that, it also signifies we're afraid to say, oh my gosh, I'm having a stressful day to my team. Um, As I mentioned to you, Christine, my father's early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. And probably for about a year, I didn't share that with my team. And at some point in time, they started to say, Jay, what's going on? We know there's something happening there. And I, you know, the, whether it was a, a pride or my father's privacy or anything else, I chose not to say anything. And then at some point in time, I nearly had a breakdown. I was burning myself out trying to manage these things. And when I literally just looked at my team and said, here's my situation, here's my reality right now, Here's the emotions that I'm experiencing, and this isn't your fault, and I apologize. I'm trying to be better. I'd like for your help in helping me navigate this. I've never had a stronger bonding moment with my team. They saw me. They saw what I was going through. And too often, I think entrepreneurs try to mask that. They try to, we have to have this stability and control because otherwise no one's going to invest in us and no one's going to trust us with our product. And if I'm struggling here, then I must be struggling in the office. And that's really just not true. And I think investors know that. That's something that I've learned across my time. They know. It's one of those things of how honest are you with yourself and then how honest are you with the people that are, you're surrounding yourself with? And I think that makes a huge difference in being able to navigate our humanness inside of business or inside of our personal lives. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think oftentimes we underestimate our team member that they won't accept us because we have challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when we take that moment to demonstrate our capacity for vulnerability, that really does allow other people the permission. And it's leading by example. It allows them the permission to say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having these stressful situations too, which is probably affecting my behavior. And until we create some of that psychological safety or that culture of belonging, which is built on those micro behaviors, that's really where we start to find success with teams and success with working with other people. So as an entrepreneur, I try to take a moment before I go into the office and I I check myself. What is my emotional state today? 
what are my frustrations? What are the things that are terrifying me? Because one of the things that we learn through crucial conversations is if I'm not talking it out, I'm probably acting it out. And that is a really important thing to remember. Just because you think that you're holding it inside, uh, one of my specialities is body language. I will read you. I will see where your frustrations, your tensions are. No matter how good you think you're masking them, I'm typically going to be able to identify some of those sources. And uh, uh, you know that's that's a really important thing to remember. If we're not talking it out, we're probably acting it out. So. Now that you have that check, that you're talking it out and you lead by example, in a way is also not everybody would follow because everybody has to face their own vulnerability, willingness to open up. And so that's when we said, well, maybe that person is being difficult because they're acting it out. And how do you deal with people who are still being difficult? Absolutely. Well, and it's scary because, you know, one of the things that we think about is when we open up or when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage. And if the other person, you know, nothing's worse than saying, hey, I'm having this really tough day. And then there's just crickets and nobody else responds or the person sitting across from you doesn't respond. You know, that's where I lean into behavioral science and I start becoming curious and I ask myself questions. Why is this person uncomfortable in reciprocating? or sharing their experience. What is it about this person's life experience that maybe they haven't reached that level of self-confidence or self-awareness even? Are they even aware of how they're feeling? You know, when we do exercises in coaching with executives, you'd be amazed how difficult it can be when we look at something like the emotional wheel that has, you know, core emotions in the center and then they spread out, you know, the core emotions of sad, happy, fear, et cetera. And then they spread out into things like frustration and anxiety and angst and so on and so forth to that third tier. It's very difficult for people to navigate their emotions to that third level. And when I find myself in that situation of somebody difficult, I, instead of getting angry with them, I try to understand them. And I, I, I switch on that behavioral science, that social scientist hat and start saying, how can I make myself really curious about this situation? What is it that they're experiencing? And I check my assumptions and my biases. And then how do you approach that person? Is it by asking question or definitely not lecturing? <laughs> no, no. Um, telling people how they should behave is generally a great way to get them to behave the opposite way. I've learned that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's interesting because there's a really fascinating study, and I'll share it with you. There was two different groups of children. We'll call them Group A and Group B. And Group A was taken into a room, and in the center of the room, there was this giant table, and it had candy and chocolates and brownies and all kinds of goodies on there. And in that room, the researchers looked at the children and told them, don't eat all this candy. It's not good for you. It'll rot your teeth. It'll cause a stomach ache. It'll ruin your dinner. Don't eat all this candy. And then the researchers left. In group B, they took a different approach. They went into the room and they asked, hey, kids, do you like candy? And the kids are like, yes. And they're like, should you eat it for every meal? And the kids are like, no. And then they said, well, well why not? If we like it, why don't we eat it for every meal? Well, you, you've got to have vegetables too. 
well, it's not good to eat it all because you know it, you have to have you know other things. You have to do this, and they have this two-way conversation that was more coaching. It was asking questions, and then those researchers left the room. The parents were allowed to watch what occurred afterwards through two-way mirrors, and in Group A, where they were told, "Don't do this," the first kid walks up to the table, grabs a piece of candy, then another <laughs> one then another one, then another one. And then all of a sudden, these kids are just destroying all of the candy brownies and cookies on the table as the parents are laughing. In group B, it happened a little differently. A kid came up to the table and took a piece of candy and kept themselves to one or two pieces each. (laughs) The kids that chose had some level of locus of control of the situation that made their own decision they were able to essentially demonstrate a stronger will and a stronger uh, resolve in managing their behavior. When I'm working with somebody that's a difficult person, I start with curiosity and I ask questions. How and what questions typically? You know, I noticed that we're having a lot of struggles in our meeting, Christine. Uh, We seem to interrupt each other quite a bit. How might we be able to look at a, a way that we can communicate more effectively in front of our team? And now I'm going to leave that question sit and I'm going to let you solve the challenge and I'm going to ask. And if you say, well, I'm not sure. I just noticed that, you know, I noticed that same thing. Okay, that's great. We're on the same page. How might we look at uh, a new form of signaling each other? Okay, well, that could be. And I might toss in an idea in the form of a question that we might be able to have a back and forth on. So I'm going to identify what the behavior is. I'm going to manage and control my own reactions to it. And then we're going to do some exploration together. And that's one of the effective ways that I've found of reducing um, conflict, reducing Mm -hmm. the ability for the other person to feel targeted. Notice something else in that statement. I was using we, let's, us, together. Mm -hmm. So that inclusive language really helps establish me and the conflict person or the difficult behaviors, we're on the same team. The conflict is the issue, not you. It's just the conflict. And we're both a part of that. So how can we navigate that together? And so that's really great. It's almost like you're inviting them to problem solve together. And then it becomes our problem, not just my problem or your problem. And I kind of also want to ask you a bit about the body language. I'm not so sure how you can tell me more about how to identify body language, what to look for in when there's, you know, there's no video of this. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I will, uh, I can actually, believe it or not, I've got a couple of ways for the audience to do this. First, if your audience would entertain the idea of putting your hands up like a professional fighter. So you've got your hands up and you're a fighter now. What are you doing? Literally, your hands are covering your face. They're covering your chest. Your elbows might be tucked in, protecting your ribs, your throat, all of your vital organs. That is how the body reacts. You take that position every single day, even if you're not a fighter. It just looks a little different. It looks like when you fold your arms It looks like when you bring your hand up to your face or cover your neck or play with your ear or cover your mouth. All of those are what we call defensive posturing. 
And when somebody is in a threatened zone, they will take defensive posturing actions. And what that looks like, it might be that they lean back away from the table, or it could be that they cross their arms or cross their legs or shift uncomfortably, moving back and forth. That's going to be a sign of defensiveness. We're going to notice the anxiety. You can also look for more specific things, everything from swallow rate, if you're really, really paying attention, how often are they swallowing? How tight is the the jawline? So when we get angry or frustrated, our teeth tend to clench. It's actually a survival mechanism. How quickly they're blinking, because when we have anxiety, guess what? One of the things that happens is our eyes start to feel a little drier, and we might end up blinking just a little bit more to demonstrate you know, that's a good demonstration of some anxiety. The other thing to look for is what we call comfort gestures. Now, these are when the body is trying to soothe itself. So if you took your hands and you put them together and you were to just rub your palms together and rub your hands like you were trying to warm them up, this is a very, very common gesture that you'll see speakers who are uncomfortable speaking. They'll bring their hands together Or if you're looking at patients, if you're in the healthcare space, you might see them rubbing their legs or giving themselves a neck massage or rubbing their temples. All of those are called comfort gestures. And from a body perspective, that is signaling to the outside world, intentionally or not, there is something that's creating psychological pain and physiologically or physically, I'm trying to reduce that by creating soothing gestures. So hopefully that was visual enough that the audience Mm -hmm. can capture. That's what I look for in a difficult confrontation. Um, Is the person getting defensive? If so, I know I need to lower the defenses in order for them to be able to understand me more effectively and for me to understand them. I know I need to de-escalate. If I see comfort gestures, I know that we're getting into a real uncomfortable situation, anxious conversation. So I'm going to know to tread carefully and send, communicate with my body, belonging signals, being open, exposing my throat, making sure that my body posture is not aggressive or defensive. And that tends to signal to the limbic system, hey, this person's not a threat. They're authentically trying to resolve this. (laughs) It'll start to slow down that fear process in their brain. And so... That's a great tool to have. I'm just thinking about, you know, different situations that, you know, I've, I think you hear a lot when people talk about, you know, putting their uh, arm across. But I like that the when you're saying that how many times you, they swallow and then the clenching of the jaw. And I'm going to start paying more attention to that. Um, so the other things that oftentimes entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs going through their journey, they always have one problem after another and they have good outcome, they also have challenges and they often have to present it to the board, right? So when you present it to the team, it's different because you feel like you have a little bit on the hierarchy power in a way. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the board, there's also a slightly different power hierarchy a little bit. And how do you manage them? And how do you deliver the message in a way that you do want to get their support because they can be really helpful Yeah. And that can be very difficult, right? Because now we're bringing in the context of power structures. You have a board of directors that has authority, that has some kind of decision-making capacity. And it's essentially the same way 
that if we were speaking to, uh, in some cases, it can be the same as speaking to a CEO or speaking to my manager or speaking to my boss, you know? So really, wherever you're at in the cycle, whether you're talking up and sharing that versus a team that you're managing and leading, well, it is going to be a different set of communication skills. I like to think and I like to coach entrepreneurs into considering the fact that despite the fact that they have some level of influence and authority, they're on your team too. They want you to be successful. Nobody sits there and joins the board of directors and says, you know, I really hope this CEO screws this up. I hope that I'm wasting my time. So it's the same thing that we would teach somebody in public speaking that has a fear or a nervousness around public speaking is no audience sits in the crowd and says, I really hope that this speaker is boring and irrelevant. Everyone in the crowd wants to connect with the speaker. So think about it from that way. Shift the mindset and remember, same team. Um, be humble. And this is one of those places where be vulnerable because more than likely if they're on the board of directors, they have excellent experience, they've got knowledge, they've got some kind of value or perspective that's going to be a value proposition. So don't be afraid to go in and say, here's my situation. And this is a really unfortunate situation. This is how I think we got there. This is how I think we can navigate some of the ways to move beyond this. I always come in with at least an idea to say, here's a couple of things I am thinking about navigating forward. I want to be forward thinking and future thinking. And then I will ask a question. How do you see it? Giving them the ability to communicate how they see it. Well, I think that you're looking at this the right way. Well, I really think that you should consider X, Y, and Z. Now we're creating collaborative communication between me and the board. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I want your input. I want your feedback because otherwise, why are you on this board? Mm -hmm. So when we take that mindset of they're on my team, utilize that strategy of being honest and saying, hey, this is where we're at. This is what I think the factors that contributed to us getting there. I might be missing some. I'd love your input on that. Here's a couple of ideas for how I think we can move forward. Or if I don't have, I'm not exactly sure what to do here. And I'd really like to rely on some of your expertise and knowledge to be able to help us navigate this situation. Once you establish that sort of building of collaboration amongst yourselves, you're going to have a lot different outcome and impact from the board. Um, what I want to add is also listening to what you said is also not only how you open up your asking question and uh, thinking that they are, you're, they are on the same team as you are, but it's also the word, the vocabulary, the vocabulary that you use is also important. Yes, right. Inclusive language, uh, asking those questions having that element of humility. And I think, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I think one of the mistakes that I made early on in my entrepreneurial career was that feeling of having to know all of the answers. If somebody asked me, I had to know the answer because how could they trust me if I don't know this? How are they going to trust me on the things that I do know? And I learned very quickly that I don't care how good you are in your field. I don't care how... Uh, how experienced you are at the point in time that we as entrepreneurs think that we know everything or that we uh, it, that we deign to believe that we have all of the answers, we stop being entrepreneurs 
because entrepreneurs are always looking for new answers, new opportunities, new innovations, new ways of thinking. So really leaning into the thing that probably made you successful in the first place, a sense of curiosity and a sense of question asking, I think that that's really the pathway forward. It's really leaning into skills that are already somewhat inherent and just being confident and comfortable enough to say, you know what, I don't know what I don't know, but that's why I've surrounded myself with a board and with a team that can help fill in my gaps and my perspectives. That's great. I know we are short of time and I felt like I can spend another hour with you asking all the questions, all the challenges that I face even as a, as a team leader or even as a mother, you know, all these things is such a good skill to have. Uh, do you have any recommendation in terms of book for people to read besides in addition to listening to this conversation that we have? Yeah. So one of the programs that we have developed for our training, for our cultural development, for our organizational development is called Behavioral Elements. And it is built on a book that was published by two management scientists, Paul Lawrence and Nitin Noria uh, of Harvard University. And they, uh, the name of the book, and I'll make sure that I have the entire title for you, it's called Driven how human nature shapes our choices. And it's a really powerful book because it goes into what they have posited as the four drive framework, the drive to acquire, the drive to defend, the drive to learn, and the drive to bond. And all human beings have this four drive framework and it helps to explain why we do what we do and why we make decisions in a way. And our behavioral elements program is a behavioral assessment that measures these core drives and then provides people with ideas of how can you actually navigate my drive to acquire might be higher than Christine's drive to acquire, but her drive to defend might be higher than mine. Where does that conflict occur? And it really does help to understand ourselves, but also understand other people. So that book, Paul Lawrence, Nit and Noria, Driven, How Human Nature Shapes Our Choices. Excellent read to kind of give you an idea of some of those behavioral baselines. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for the conversation. My pleasure. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.